Hello and welcome to Yudcast, episode 80. This is Head of School Dan Glass with you once again recording live in the Sound Lab here at the Brandeis School of San Francisco. Very nice to have you here with us today. It's a foggy, uh, autumnal Thursday here at Brandeis. I'm going to start today with a poem, as we start every day with a poem. This is a poet who comes, who's going to come up in the story I'm going to tell this week. Uh, her name is Erica Lewis. She's a, a friend and a collaborator of mine over the years. Um, this is from a book of hers called Camera Obscura um, that was uh, published um, by a press called Blaze Vox. Um, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's sort of an uh, inter-genre book. It, it's got paintings in it uh, and poems, and in some cases the poems are written over the paintings. Um, I've uh, posted a picture on Twitter of the, uh, the piece I'm going to read here um, because it's, it is um, a visual piece. It's a painting um, with words that both uh, go over it and also extend beyond it. To start a new form, torque to move anywhere, itself emptying out of the actual feathery thing, to expose the frame twice, to look and remember what it looked like, seconds too long, jarring the image, double exposure, revolving door, resistance. The man inside says there is no lie, so that there is, no one telling the story better and us in crude rotation. Image after image, two twisted halves of a curve, closed over infinity, sensitivity to light, a function of time. As the moon was not visible at the time of launch, previous frames faded out as the sliding exponential window slid in, aura, autofocus, the long algorithm, the blur cycle. Um... This is a fascinating book. Uh, I really like that piece in particular um, for the line, uh, Sensitivity to Light, a Function of Time. Um, I taught this book uh, to my eighth grade students when I was an eighth grade humanities teacher uh, some lifetimes ago. And um, we uh, studied both the poetry um, that was there and also studied the notion of a camera obscura and actually ended up um, turning uh, the entire gym at the school where I was working into a uh, into a pinhole camera. So we uh, darkened the entire, um, uh, ev- every source of light. Uh, you know, all the way to like exit signs and cracks under doors. And um, I had a, a colleague at the time who was a, um amateur photographer and he had, um, you know, taught the class about how, how big of an aperture you would need um, to be able to see an image uh, sort of quote unquote projected um, on the wall of the gym and, and, uh, you walk into this space and it feels like it is pitch black, but um, as the line says, the sensitivity to light being a function of time, within a couple minutes, you can see, uh, we could see a perfect uh, image of, of what was happening outside the gym 
displayed on the wall of the gym. It was, um, it was one of the craziest, uh, experiences I've ever had. Um, and we had people come visit, uh, the camera obscura, uh, or I, I think, yeah, I guess it's kind of a camera obscura, um, over the course of, of that day. And it, it actually got to be so, you got so adjusted to the absence of light, um, that at one point our kids were playing basketball in the gym, uh, a gym that had felt, you know, uh, upon first entry, just absolutely pitch black. So fascinating project that was. Um, so, uh, the reason that, um, I thought of this book of Erica Lewis's is because, um, I, I've written many words of the week now in, um, this position as head of school at Brandeis. Uh, I, I counted, uh, this morning. In fact, I've, I'm at about 130, uh, words of the week in, in, uh, the three and a quarter school years that, um, I have been head of school and, um, one of them in particular has always stood out to me as I think my favorite, uh, among the stories that I've told and ideas that I've shared. Um, and it was three years ago this week that, um, that I wrote that piece and I thought I would unearth it, uh, go back to it, maybe remix it a little bit, see what ideas from it are still, uh, vibrant, um, and, uh, and so that's what I'm going to share here. Um, so it goes like this. I find myself this morning wanting to tell you the story of last Friday when I went to the Innovative Learning Conference with a mixed group of Brandeis faculty, staff, and parents. But to tell that story, I need to talk about my Saturday evening, which was spent at a poetry reading, and my Sunday afternoon when I joined our school's annual LGBTQ family party. It's a story of trying to understand the age we live in, our organization, a story of tifrosh min hatsu beer, do not separate yourself from the community, a story of many colors. I'll begin with the poetry. Saturday night, I had the pleasure of going to a reading by several poets at the home of Erica Lewis, an old friend and longtime San Francisco poet. One reader that night was new to me, Tongo Eisen Martin, although in subsequent years he's, uh, his books have become uh, regular fellow travelers with me. I often uh, will bring one or the other of them uh, in my briefcase as I bop around the country to conferences. Tongo Eisen Martin is wonderfully tall. He towered above the crowd in that small apartment and he has a deliberateness to his speech and movement that suggests an old soul. One of the lines caught my ear and ended up woven throughout my understanding of my diverse weekend. It goes like this. Mission Street would be proud of me. I'm a mural man, almost organized. I love how Eisen Martin, a San Francisco native, situates himself in the city here as a character in its beloved street art. But it's the almost organized in that line, the almost organized that has stuck with me, that I find myself chewing on, that I hope this writing will help me understand. 
Driving down Laguna Honda Boulevard elsewhere in the weekend, we saw a group painting a new mural in front of the hospital. The long wall has been whitewashed, and they've put up a grid and begun sketching in what appear to be San Francisco stories, people, rows of houses and hills. It seemed very organized. As we passed, Kate and I talked to Sonia and Alma in the back seat about how the use of a grid helps to articulate the scale of a mural to transfer it from a sketch to a wall. I found myself wondering about the relationship between the context and the painting, the form of a mural and its content, and thought back to something I'd read long ago in Spain in a class on Latin American muralists and Diego Rivera, whose first U.S. mural hung over our galas for several years at the City Club. Of his later work at the Detroit Institute of the Arts, Rivera wrote, In my previous murals, I had tried to achieve a harmony in my painting with the architecture of the building. But to attempt such a harmony in the garden of the Institute would have defeated my purposes. For the walls here were of an intricate Italian Baroque style with little windows, heads of satyrs, doorways, and sculpturesque moldings. It was within such a frame that I was to represent the life of an age which had nothing to do with Baroque refinements, a new life which was characterized by masses, machines, and naked mechanical power. So I set to work consciously to overpower the ornamentation of the room. The content in this case was arguing with the form, a kind of dialectic. Rivera's aim to represent the life of an age, the new industrialism of Henry Ford, the age of the assembly line, always resonated for me as the ultimate aim of all art, to paint in its own colors the life of its time. Which brings me to the Innovative Learning Conference. As its title suggests, the conversation at the conference was tuned toward the new. One, one session, a talk by the futurist and researcher John Seeley Brown, explored what he described as the emerging networked age, one characterized by increasingly rapid change. He claimed that in this context, the half-life of a given skill is constantly shrink shrinking. It's a compelling argument, one that resonates in my software jumps of the past years, from Facebook to Twitter or Keynote to Prezi to Google Slides, and it raises important questions for educators. If that is our context, the wall on which we paint the mural of the education we provide our children, what is its content? Another way to ask this question is this, what persists in this networked age in which the digital space of our lives grows beyond our capacity to imagine it, what will last? What will set our children up for a full and meaningful life, a life of learning or purpose? One answer to that question was provided at the conference as well by the Columbia University professor Lisa Miller in her talk on childhood and adolescent spirituality. In a nutshell, her research shows that an authentic sense of spirituality inoculates adolescents against some of the most pressing dangers they face, drug and alcohol abuse, unsafe sexual behaviors, and major depressive disorders. Her book, The Spiritual Child, is worth more than a paragraph, and I'll give it the attention it deserves another week. And here, perhaps, is my favorite uh, moment of this 
to fast forward because in the three years since I wrote this article, uh, we have become one of 14 leadership schools nationwide working with Dr. Miller in the Collaborative for Spirituality and Education. Um, and what we're working on is articulating best practices um, in childhood spiritual development, uh, and in particular in the context of schools. And in fact, I'm headed to New York this weekend um, for a meeting of that group, the Collaborative for Spirituality and Education, uh, with the other heads of those 14 schools to continue its work. So it's fun to see this moment when I really first encountered Dr. Miller's work uh, and what's come of it in the subsequent three years. I found a second answer to uh, my question about what persists on Sunday at the LGBTQ family party. I arrived to a rambunctious house full of children and parents bursting with life and love. It was a party celebrating the diversity of our community, celebrating the value of encountering difference across its many modalities. And this is where I thought of Keshet's wonderful poster, which I have just outside my office, of seven Jewish values for inclusive community. The last of those seven values is Al-Tifrosh Min Hatsubir, which they translate as solidarity. As the poster has it, quote, don't separate yourself from the community, Pirkei Avot 2.5. When you feel different from others in your community, don't isolate yourself. Find allies and supporters who you can talk to. If you know someone who is feeling isolated, reach out, be an ally and a friend. This, I believe, is the great power we create at, Band at Brandeis, the power of an inclusive and future-focused Jewish community. This is part of what will persist for our children through their emerging networked lives, the capacity to connect not just across and despite difference, but through and in celebration of it. We are mural people. While there is a grid there, a grid of spirituality and Jewish tradition, we are not constrained by those lines. We are only beautifully, joyously, almost organized. And with that, my friends, I wish you all a colorful, happy weekend. Be looking forward to sharing with you next week about what I learned while I was at the Collaborative for Spirituality and Education's uh, heads meeting. And uh, Shabbat Shalom to any of you listening on Shabbat. And we'll be back with you next week.